subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod Blogs community at Tripods.com, Jerry's Place for canine amputees and their people. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This is Tripod Talk Radio, and today is Sunday, May 19th, 2013. Today we are excited to have Dr. Ann Hohenhouse with us to talk about veterinary oncology. Dr. Hohenhouse is a board-certified oncologist on staff at the Animal Medical Center in New York City, where she treats at Tripod's members Ajax and Jill the Cat, who introduced us to her. If you're listening live, please join us now in the chat room at tripods.com chat, or if you have a brief question, call 646-716-5450. We have a lot to discuss today, so let's get right to it. Dr. Hohenhouse, welcome to the show, and thank you. Um, I'm so happy to be here. We are thrilled to have you. Thank you so much, Dr. Hohenhouse. This is Renee here, and um, we uh, we can get started right now if you'd like. Um, I know we have uh, quite a few questions. We have a lot of interest here, and People really want to uh, hear your opinion on a lot of things. So I'm just going to jump into some questions here. Okay. Um, first of all, this is, this is one of my questions. Um, can you tell us why did you choose to practice in animal oncology, and what are some of the rewards and challenges of working in this field? So uh, my father was a veterinarian, and I pretty much my whole life wanted to be a veterinarian. But I, I kind of wanted to be a researcher. And in my senior year in college, I was assigned a topic in a molecular biology course about cancer-causing viruses, and that got me hooked in oncology. And throughout veterinary school, I worked at the National Cancer Institute and in a laboratory at Cornell University with feline leukemia virus, which is a cancer-causing virus. But all of a sudden, then I spent a summer in practice, and I was hooked on clinical practice. So being an oncologist melds my interest in research, cancer, and in veterinary medicine. So the challenges of and, and rewards of working in the field, the rewards are that I have an opportunity to give hope to people who often come to me with no hope because oncology is not something that veterinarians are exposed to very much when they are in school. So people come thinking maybe there's nothing that can be done and and then come to see me and realize that there are lots of things that we can do. Challenges are that we don't have as much um, as many tools as we wish we did. You know, the, the human oncologists have many more tools than we do, and so we're always scrounging to see what they have that we might change and use and copy, um, and and we hope every day for, you know, new drugs, new treatments, um, new surgeries to do to help our patients. Well, and, and thanks to oncologists like you. I mean, it just feels like we're we're coming up with all of these new solutions all the time. Um, 
Now, I'm wondering, in your opinion, do you think more animals are getting cancer, or are we just imagining that it's it's become a worse problem? What What is your take on all this? So this is strictly an opinion because in the United States there are not cancer registries for dogs and cats. In in humans, when you die, your cause of death is logged into giant databases from which we glean all kinds of information about increases and decreases in disease prevalence and cause of death in humans. But in animals, the data is not tracked. Um, insurance companies can probably give us some sort of, of tracking on that, but I don't think we've had good data from insurance companies long enough yet. The reason I mm-hmm. think that you're probably right, that cancer is increasing, is that we can control infectious disease through vaccination. We keep our pets safe because we know we should keep them on a leash or keep our cats indoors. We have better all-around health care for, for pets, so they're living longer, which means long enough for them to get cancer. That totally makes sense. I never even thought about about it not having us not having enough data to track all of this. But um, you know, we see cancer every day at, at tripods. Unfortunately, there's there's always a new member joining whose dog or cat has just been diagnosed. Um, one of the questions they come to us with is, why should they go to a board certified oncologist if they want to pursue any kind of oncology treatments? Um, do animals that have cancer stand a better chance of surviving it if they're treated by a board-certified oncologist versus going to their family vet who says they can do treatment? Oh, that's that's a great question. So there's not a lot of information about that. Some of the information about that comes actually from our colleagues, the board-certified surgeons, and there are some tumors that have the question has been asked, who does better, a pet having surgery by the neighborhood vet or having surgery by a board-certified vet in a specialty hospital? And in, in certain tricky tumors, the board-certified surgeon wins. It's probably true the same for certain tricky cancers um, where the board-certified oncologist has seen a lot more they develop kind of a sixth sense about how the patient is doing or if there's something just not right which causes them to pursue additional testing, whereas the neighborhood vet may not have seen enough to have developed that sixth sense. There are some tumors, and and I have colleague veterinarians who are not specialists that I've worked with for years and years, and they'll call me and say, I have a patient with osteosarcoma, I amputated the leg, the chest x-ray is clean, and do you still think that adriamycin and carboplatin is a good combination for this patient? And I'll say, yep, you're right on the money. And in, in that case, it's okay. But should you have a patient who has a, um, a multiple drug resistance gene uh, deletion, which we can talk about um, later, that may make adriamycin not the drug for that patient. But that may be just a, a picky detail that oncologists worry about, but the general vet has got so much other stuff to worry about. They can spay a dog, and I actually can't. Um, so, you know, it's it's not that they're better than I am or I'm better than they are. It's that we focus on different things. And, you know, I have a lot of training, um, a lot of time doing this, and and a lot of um, meetings attended and papers read and books studied to try and be uh, as current as I can on this topic. And my colleague, general veterinarian, you know, I called the other day and said, "Eh, i got this flea problem in one of my patients. Can you help me? And and they're a specialist in that, and I, I would never pretend to be.
so I think there are many times where the specialist um, is going to take care of a pet better, and there are plenty of times when a generalist can actually do quite a good job. So it sounds like if a vet has a, a good relationship with an oncologist that they can consult with, that it, it could uh, be a, a good move if, if somebody wants to stay with their family vet to to do treatments. Well, I think that if the if the neighborhood vet has a good relationship with the oncologist and calls and says, this is what I have, and if the oncologist says, this one is not for you, you're going to be really unhappy if you get mixed up in this, then that person should refer the case. And if they say, this really sounds like an everyday case, then then things may go quite well at the neighborhood practice. You know, here in, mm-hmm. in New York, we're spoiled because there we have a lot of oncologists on the East Coast. And if you live in the middle of the country, there aren't so many oncologists, and then it's a little bit right. harder to, to see a specialist. And it's big out there in the West. Yeah, in fact, most of our members are, are either on the West Coast or, or East Coast. And I heard somewhere that there are fewer than 250 oncologists around the country. Is that number still about right? Yeah, yeah, we probably only add 15 or 20 new members every year. And some of those oncologists that are certified, um, although they may be American certified, work in countries elsewhere. Um, There is a certification in Europe. Uh, The European uh, College of Veterinary Internal Medicine has an oncology group. But I'm sure that I don't think the Europeans have 200 members at all. so there are, there are not a lot of oncologists um, worldwide. Mm-hmm. Do you think that oncology for animals overseas is still, um, I don't want to say behind, but that they they aren't pursuing the same kind of treatments that we are? Because I, I do see a difference in, in how animals go or dogs and cats go through um, osteosarcoma treatments um, in places like England and, and Australia. Um, how, how different are the, the two? Um, there, I think the diseases are a little bit different internationally. And so mm-hmm. when diseases are a little bit different, either because of influences, like, for example, cats in Europe still go outside a lot, and uh, there's more feline leukemia virus in Europe than there is here, so that impacts that treatment. Different breeds get different diseases, and therefore the American breeds are not the same as the European breeds, so there's differences in that sense. In South America, they see a lot of breast cancer in animals because there's not a big spay and neuter programs like there are in the U.S. And so when I go to international meetings, um, my colleagues are doing great research, um, but mm-hmm. on diseases a little bit different than I see because their patient population is different. It's actually so much fun to go and see what colleagues do. Um, but I, I'm interested. Tell me how osteosarcoma is different in Europe because there are good people in Europe who've done a lot of time and training in the U.S., and I would think it's quite similar. Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I, I hate to get any of the situations wrong, but I think I've seen um, fewer uh, fewer sessions, fewer treatment sessions. Um, and we had one member in Australia say that her dog didn't need any chemo because the leg was already taken off. And, and it, you know, I can't even um, specify really right now off the top of my head, but well, it does I mean, seem very different. For for some people out there, remember that um, Tripause member Ajax had no chemo uh, for his 
tumor that affected his leg uh, because it was a tumor that was not a metastatic type of tumor, but because it was plastered onto his bone, we, we couldn't get it off and still leave him functional. So it just depends on what the biopsy is, whether or not that patient that gets an amputation needs chemotherapy afterwards. Um, so it's it's possible that, that the Australian member didn't actually have osteosarcoma because was most of those, um, you, as we all know, get chemo after an amputation. Um, so right. it, may have, it may have been something different about a tumor there. Just wanted to remind anyone listening that they can call Dr. Hohenhaus now with their oncology questions at 646-716-5450. Hi, it's me again. Okay, um, so somebody asked not too long ago, um, they'd like to know if there are any statistics out there that show um, whether male or female dogs have a better chance of getting cancer and being diagnosed with it. Does, does one sex have more cancer than the other? I think that that is all over the place, and it depends on the the cancer, and it depends on the breed of the patient. Um, it depends on, on the exact biopsy. So mammary cancer um, is, like, is almost always in females. Occasionally there is male um, mammary cancer, uh, and the true is same in people. Um, trying to think if there's some, you know, it, and prostatic cancer doesn't occur in the female because they haven't got one. But I would say that mm -hmm. there are very few tumors where it's it's clearly a male disease or a female disease except for reproductive issues. Uh-huh. So osteosarcoma, you wouldn't say that um, it's more prevalent in one than the other? No. Mm -mm. Not okay. osteosarcoma, okay. And, uh, but we know that that breed matters, and the question is, does, is it breed that matters or is it size that matters? Because breed and size are so yeah. closely related, but in general, osteosarcoma is a large breed dog disease. Um, in most of the studies, the average dog with osteosarcoma is like 30, 40 kilograms, which is 60 to 90 you know, pounds. Um, uh -huh. So it, they're big dogs. There are small dogs that get osteosarcoma, and every time we see one, we say, Ooh, are we sure we have the right diagnosis here because it's, right. it's quite uncommon. Yeah, we do see them here. I think we've even seen a chihuahua with it. Um, yeah, it's so not. It's, it's, it's pretty. Yeah, unusual. it'll happen in any breed, but it, it, it's much uh -huh. more common in um, the big dogs. Now, we've done our own uh, studies, very unscientific member studies, about osteosarcoma and amputation and, and longevity and things like that. And I was wondering if uh, anybody has put together some kind of comprehensive study that we can refer people to about amputation and survival and, and everything that we pretty much focus on at, at tripods. Do you know of anything like that? The... Um there's there's probably no one study can ever answer all the questions that you have. And the more questions you try to answer with any study, and this could be a cancer study, a diabetes study, an anemia study, it doesn't matter. The more questions you try and answer, the more cumbersome your, your paper and data become, and you really dilute out any effort that you have. So it's very important to focus on what the end point of your study is. So... Mm -hmm. Probably 20 years ago, um, Dr. Withrow at, at 
Colorado State got people together to submit cases of dogs that had osteosarcoma that had an amputation only. And he collected this data very carefully because these dogs then could serve as a control group for anyone who wanted to look at that data um, so that you didn't, because everyone knew that dogs with osteosarcoma were going to die, so there was no reason to have a control group where the dogs didn't get treated because you knew the outcome, what it was going to be. So he collected right. these dogs. So there would be that. And that paper, I'll, I'll have to type here in a few minutes, but that paper was published and um, is commonly, commonly referred to um, in in other studies because it is a large group of dogs who were treated with amputation alone. Um, mm -hmm. So that that talks about that. Um, but there, there are also these days, you know, more studies looking at a wide variety of different treatments. The problem with almost every study in veterinary medicine is that they are not randomized, meaning patients assigned to treatment one versus treatment two by a flip of a coin, and they are not controlled, meaning that there are two groups, one getting this treatment and one getting a different treatment. The reason being they're very, very, very expensive studies to do, and um, there's just not the money for research in veterinary medicine um, to identify, you know, to to put up to do these studies. Mhm. Mm and and when it comes to cats. And osteosarcoma, I can imagine that that's um, there's even fewer uh, research dollars out there for things like that. Um, because those tumors occur so uncommonly, the um, the treatment of cats nobody really knows. Now, I believe uh -huh. there was a um, I believe there was a recent study, maybe in the Journal of Feline Practice. Do you remember this, or have you looked for this? That has a one of the larger groups of um, cats with osteosarcoma. Uh, let me see if I, I think can Jill find has that. referred us to that study, or, or rather, Erica. <laughs> uh huh. Feline and, and and for everybody out there, Jill is uh, she is our first uh, feline tripod with osteosarcoma in the six years that we've been online. I'll, I'll keep looking for this, but there was this, sure, um, I, I think problem. it was there, um, it, there was a, a, a large number of cats in this particular study. Yeah, I think we'd love to see that and have that as a reference for people. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, I'm going to jump into some member questions, and uh, let's start with um, Michelle. So I'm going to read her question verbatim, and I know you've had a chance to review it ahead of time, but here goes. I have a six-year-old Roddy that underwent four doses of carboplatin and presented with low meiotic indexes, three HPF, you're going to have to explain all this to me, and metastasized after the fourth treatment. Her treatment plan called for five treatments. In your opinion, perhaps knowing what you know now about the metastasis, of SASE spindle cell OSA, would a carbo slash doxy protocol perhaps have been a better option? Oh, poor SASE. Um, it, it, this is something that you just absolutely, absolutely hate to see is that you've done everything right and it just doesn't work out the way you wanted it to. 
Mm-hmm. So I would say no. Now, probably a different protocol wouldn't have made a difference. And, but let me go back and translate this question for you. So first, for the listeners, um, Renee said a low meiotic index. It's really a mitotic index, M-I-T-O-T-I-C. And if you remember back from, like, freshman biology, mitosis is, is cell division. <laughs> So mm-hmm. what what this means is when the pathologist looks at the biopsy under the microscope, a biopsy is a freeze frame of a um of of a tumor at the second that it is put into the special freeze frame solution as part of the biopsy process. And just an aside, I have a piece coming out on vetstreet.com in, uh, I don't know when, and I've done the final edits to it, which means it should post soon. Uh, and it's good, it's called a biography of a biopsy, and it helps you to understand how a biopsy gets made. So oh, when great. you get this freeze frame um, that happens, the, the dividing cells are frozen in division, and that's what the pathologist is counting. And so the pathologist said that there were a low number of mitotic figure, and, and they say three HPV, HPF, which is three per high power field. So when you put your microscope on high, in that area that you can see through the high power microscope, they only counted three mitotic cells in that. And that's actually, that's low. And so that is a predictor in many kinds of tumors for whether or not a tumor is is likely to spread forever. So that's why Michelle is doesn't understand why SASE's biopsy looked like it should be a good biopsy and not metastasize right away, except that mm-hmm. before she even finished chemotherapy, there were metastases discovered. And so um, what I would say is that there is no chemotherapy that's better than any other one. If you take a bunch of dogs and treat them with doxorubicin, they live about 9 to 10 months. And then you take a bunch of dogs and you treat them with carboplatin, they live about 9 to 10 months. And then you treat them with carbodoxy together and they live about 9 to 10 months. So it helps, but it doesn't seem to really fix the problem. So what what Sassy needs and what every dog with osteosarcoma needs is probably what Angelina Jolie got last week, and that was personalized mm-hmm. cancer medicine, where mm-hmm. Angelina Jolie's family has a history of breast and ovarian cancer, and we now know in women that that is a trait carried by a particular gene, and Angelina Jolie happens to carry that gene. And Currently, because no one knows how to prevent that gene from going crazy and causing cancer, the only thing they can do is try and take off the tissue that's likely to develop cancer and then um, monitor her very carefully, but hoping that by early intervention she won't have to have a, a diagnosis of cancer. So if we had a test like that for dogs, then we could do some sort of scan on dogs at risk every year and figure out you know when those tumors cropped up sooner than by the time your dog is limping. So that I think that's what mm-hmm. we need in order to try and save dogs like Sassy. And currently there are a couple of different um cancer marker screenings out there. Do you think any of these are are helping us um get ahead of the game a little bit? Which ones? 
Oh, my gosh, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> um, there were a couple of blood tests that were announced over the last two years, and I, I, can't, I can't think off the top okay, of my head which probably one. Probably you're thinking about one that what is, is more of a maybe lymphoma marker. And the problem is that, that any test you cannot take out of patient context because you will – get a positive result that might be caused by something other than cancer. And so right now we don't have any great cancer tests in um uh early detection tests in veterinary patients although we're working towards it. I don't think any of them are are as probably as good as some of them that we have in people like um mammograms are. But notice that even the prostate-specific antigen in people, they, they've, they're starting to recommend that men don't have that because there's so many tests that say you have cancer when you don't really. Um, so that test, cancer tests are all very problematic. I can see that. I can see that. Thank you for that explanation. Um, we have another member uh, question here. This is from Four Mini Pups who wants to know, can a chemo treatment with vinblastine cause hyperactivity in a dog with a single mutation of the MRD1 or is that MDR gene the only other thing, the only other thing you're going to have to translate the only other thing that has changed is diet going to grain free he's had no other side effects after four treatments except the hyperactivity uh forgot to add that he also gets 25 milligrams of prednisone so uh, the, it is the MDR1 gene, multiple drug resistance gene, and that is a gene um, in herding dogs uh, and some sight hounds um, that are, that drug is responsible for helping the patient to metabolize the chemo drugs. Not every chemo drug, just certain ones, vinblastine is one of them. And um, when you have these gene defects, you can't tolerate the drug, and so there are recommendations to decrease the amount of chemo compared to the normal dose it's given. And I've sent the link to the website from Washington State University about um, multiple drug resistance testing and drugs that are, are affected by it. My wonder is if the... Um, for mini pups dog is not feeling a little peppy because of the prednisone. If you have an older dog that maybe has a touch of arthritis, prednisone is going to make that arthritis feel a whole lot better by decreasing the inflammation. And I've had more than one dog who feels like a puppy again on steroids and goes crazy because their joints don't hurt them as much as they did. The Washington State University website says that the side effects of vinblastine in multiple drug resistance gene deletion dogs are primarily GI, and that would be my experience too. So I'm thinking it's the prednisone and not the vinblastine. Good to know. And actually, I think this member has posted that um, that link in our forums before, um, but uh, I'll go ahead and grab the link that you sent us and, and put it up there just to be sure. Um, we have uh, another question here. Um, this came from our chat, and it's from GTP Lady. Uh, Hi, guys. I wanted to ask. I just found out my 13-year-old Golden has chrondosarcoma. The tumor is on her back leg. I'm starting radiation therapy on Thursday. Do you know if it will shrink the tumor? Having it removed would mean amputation, and at this age, I don't want to put her through such a major surgery. Um, real quick, because we only have a minute or so left, what is your opinion on that? Um, 
you know, radiation is not my specialty, but lots of my patients get radiation. And I doubt if radiation will shrink the tumor. Uh, it might slow it down, but just like chemo doesn't work very well for big, bulky tumors, radiation therapy doesn't in general work for big, bulky tumors. So I, I'm going to guess no, but that that doesn't mean that it's not the right treatment for your dog. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Thank you for answering that. We have one last question here from Tripod's member, Benny55, and this is uh, Sally and Happy Hannah. Um, she wants to know what um, supplements, herbs, etc. would you be okay with adding to a dog who's getting uh, carboplatin for osteosarcoma? So the problem with supplements is that, that they're very not particularly well investigated. And I tend to take my lead from the National Cancer Institute's uh, complementary and alternative medicine um, uh, website as to what's at least shown to work or not work in people. And I think I sent that link to Renee already. Um, it's very, very informative site. My concern always is that many of these are antioxidants, and chemotherapy and radiation work by oxidizing. So since the course of therapy for chemo and or radiation are quite short, you know, in in terms of a few months, I would say add supplements later um, so that we don't take a chance that we're um, inactivating the chemotherapy that you're giving. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Thank you. And um, let me see, what other questions do we have here, I think? I think that would be it. I just want to let people know that we will be in the chat room um, immediately following the show. So you can bring your questions over there if you're being shy and don't want to call in. And I'm going to hand the phone over to Jim now. Dr. Hohenhaus, I just wanted to thank you once again. And we really appreciate you joining us at tripods.com slash chat to continue this discussion for a while. Listeners can get more information about your work at amcny.org or visit us in the chat for some more important links, I'm sure. Find this and all Tripod Talk radio podcasts at downloads.tripods.com. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts and claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast. True.